Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Brain Bleed. My name is Jeff. And my name is Tucker, and this is the only podcast guaranteed to give you brain bleed, even though we are not guaranteed to come every day. So, Tucker, how are you, how are you doing today? How's your life been? Uh, I just ate way too much chicken, so I'm feeling like tub of lard sitting here in a chair, um, not really knowing how to uh, reckon with the fact that I'm a piece of human garbage. I mean, you pretty much just summed up my 2020, but with me being in a Zoom meeting and being on mute. So uh, there's your low-hanging fruit for the morning. Um, I want to talk about a movie that I saw recently. It did not come out recently. It came out in like late 2019 or something along those lines. Eons ago. as, as Yeah, but no, like that might as well be like a classical film by this point. It was a lifetime ago. I can relate to 2019 about as much as I can relate to the Tudors at this point. So, and that film was of course, uh, knives out, Mm. which again, you know, admittedly late to the party here, but I just wanted to bring it up because I really did enjoy it. And just damn it. If Daniel Craig, isn't just a gym and everything he's in, I just, I love seeing that dude do what he does and him with like that super old antebellum South kind of proper Southern accent was just jarring start to finish. What's funny is I I remember seeing him in this, uh, comedy film, Logan Lucky that came out and it's like, okay, so he does a Southern accent in both of these movies, but they're like polar opposites, sort of like white trash, redneck Appalachian in Logan Lucky and then just like this Beauregard sort of yeah, 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 yeah. Lo- like high Southern shtick going on here. In, and he's just having fun with himself, like stretching, uh, like taking all of that James Bond money and using it to just pad out his lifestyle while he pursues all of the weird roles with all of the directors that he wants to. And yeah, God bless him for that. I mean, I think from a strictly linguistic standpoint, him doing all of these Southern accents actually is kind of made easier by his English influence, because if you slow down, like it's very close to a uh, to a Southern accent, like a Southern accent and English accent are actually very close um, from a phonetic standpoint. Have you seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Are you referring to the Swedish film or the American the, the, film? The, well, the American film and where, you know, Daniel Craig was in that. And what's funny there is that it's been a while, but I do distinctly remember him not putting any real effort to do anything remotely (laughs) like any sort of Scandinavian accent in that movie. He's just, I'm here. I'm collecting my paycheck. Let's go. But now, you know, he's, he's clearly at the end, uh, toward the end of his bond, uh, tenure, even though they keep on delaying no time to die. So again, he's just, Doing whatever he wants to do, and I, I like that. I mean, it's so it's funny that you should make the jump to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo because I literally rewatched that. That's one of my i I don't have a habit of rewatching movies, but I've seen that film at least like seven times. I really, really enjoy that, and uh, I watched that like a week before I watched Knives Out, and so you know, I don't know. It's all connected. It's all a little spider web. Right. Well, I guess my problem is like. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is fine, but it's like bottom tier David Fincher for me. Although I will say I tried to watch Mank recently. Could not get into that. Uh, not that I dislike uh, old films. I watch old films. It's just like, uh, 
it wasn't really engaging for me at least because it no bottom tier uh fincher for me but fincher's a very good director so bottom tier for him is like high average marks for any other director so what would you say is like an s tier fincher film would i sound like absolutely stereotypical for a guy of roughly my age and demographic characteristics to say fight club because i mean the fact that it has an annoying ass fan base does not take away from the fact that it is a legitimately good film i would also say gone girl gone girl. oh true 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 yeah um just straight up hadn't made the name connection to those other films not gonna lie not gonna front <laughs> so uh yeah fair fair enough actually as far as those go you know i wouldn't have seen his hand working the same way in all three mentioned movies. Seven is a good, I, but I know I, I think like if you actually sit back and think about seven, the game fight club, panic room, Zodiac, Zodiac act. No Zodiac best David Fincher film. Are you like, the one with uh Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo, David. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Great movie. Um, it's been on my watch list for like three years and I just haven't committed though. Cause it's, it has a fairly significant runtime, right? Like two and 45. No, no, it's, it's long, but it's absolutely worth it. I would say, um, social network. Also not one of my favorite Fincher movies, Zuckerberg, but, but I mean, even like you can make, you can make, you can make a good movie about any sort of character. It's just, it didn't, was not was not one of my favorites and it's funny because that came out at just like around the same time as girl with a dragon tattoo so hmm. kind of a low point for fincher's stretch and then he did gone girl and then he took like forever to make his uh make his next movie although i guess you know you could say like the american house of cards was partially his project but not totally mine hunter oh mine hunter was good have you have you watched through it i've watched like the first one and a half seasons um which they they kind of soft canceled it so that's oh that's so that's so we're only gonna get the two it it isn't go let's let's uh swing back to uh knives out because i actually have more to say about that movie it's interesting because we were talking about this in the context of daniel craig sure um you know he's stretching out his uh artistic kind of horizons and using his big franchise money to take a bunch of little weird roles and love that about him. Um, what's interesting is you could say that, you know, there's a similar dynamic going on with another one of the actors in that film, which was Chris Evans, who true, was true again, he's using the opportunities afforded to him by captain America to do all these kind of, uh, weird artsy roles. He's, Spoilers for anyone who has not seen Knives Out. Just an utterly like repulsive and annoying and obnoxious human being in Knives Out, but in a good, engaging way to actually watch. And I just find this to be funny because, again, Daniel Craig has made it crystal clear that he is not going to do any more Bond movies after No Time to Die. He really had to be convinced to even get as far as he has with the series. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how his career uh, and unfolds from this point. What was interesting about Chris Evans was I was certain that he was going to take a similar route after uh, Avengers Endgame, that he was going to be done with Captain America and he was going to pursue all these weird roles. But now we're seeing these reports that maybe he's coming back. I mean, I, 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 
I don't know. Like I kind of got the sense that he always had a little bit more in him. I didn't see him as being as hard-handedly on the way out as someone like Daniel Craig was with the Bond films. Mm. But I mean, you know, I uh, I also just would love to say I hadn't really ever seen him as a bad guy before in anything. And so getting to see him and just want to punch him in his smug face was so satisfying. Like he does that so well. Have you seen Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Uh, no, actually blind spot for me. Um, not my favorite movie, but he is kind of a scumbag in that movie. Not I mean, like overwhelmingly the only thing I've heard about Scott Pilgrim is that the fandom sucks and that the comics were better. That's all I've got. Right. Um, which, you know, that feels like all you can hear about anything these days. I remember, I remember all the way back to when that movie came out and that came out like either the same weekend as, or all these movies came out very close to one another. That is the expendables eat, pray, love and Scott Pilgrim versus the world all came out in like the same time frame. And someone put it this way. It's like every male who does not wear own a hoodie is going to go see the expendables. Every female who does not own a hoodie is going to go see eat, pray, love and every male or female who owns a hoodie is going to go see <laughs> Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And that probably was how it broke out at the time. Good Lord. Do a sociology paper on it. <laughs> Somebody, please. Um, it's funny you should mention Eat, Pray, Love, because that actually gives us a wonderful segue into kind of my next um, my next little bit, unless you have any other uh, like kind of hot rocks to get off of about of... Uh, Knives Out. I think I've we had, we didn't really talk about Knives Out as a movie. We talked about, we talked but, about it as a concept. Yeah, we talked cerebral. about it not even as a concept as a hey, this was a production that a few actors were in. Let's talk about like the career trajectories of these actors. But you know what? That's probably a pretty good way to approach this for the purposes of this because you can go to any number of YouTube explainers if you didn't get knives out and really it's it's pretty it's 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 a good movie but it's easy to follow what, what is there not to get wait were there people that didn't understand it I remember, they walk you through it i remember someone like tweeting out the other day it's like something to the effect of you girls are literally crying over a guy who types in x movie explained after after <laughs> see after see well, and, okay so this is this is a hill that i am going to die on so hereditary Right. The ending of Hereditary, so many people got just, par- you know, pardon the turn of phrase, got absolutely butt hurt that they walked you through it a little bit. Right. And my thing is, you get to be mad about it because it's hard canon now. You didn't have to watch any explanation videos. You didn't have to do anything like that. They gave it to you. And so many people felt insulted and angry. But then it's like... You know, we have people who straight up don't understand Knives Out, where they walk you through like a freaking Nancy Drew book. I, I think like, there there are a lot of people who legitimately cannot um, follow any remotely complicated plot, and that's why you get so much modern streaming content that's pretty much made to kind of basically sort of follow along as you're doing other shit. Um, I mean, I don't want to say people are dumb because I hate that type of rhetoric, but, you know, in a roundabout way, I've actually genuinely had people ask me what the point of Lord of the Rings was. And that's such a one sentence answer. Well, it's not even like people are dumb so much as people have. I I think you could legitimately make this case uh, severely collapsing attention spans, which means that, again, any sort of remotely 
uh, complex story structure is not something that you see a lot in a lot of uh, modern films and modern television, at least to the extent that it would prevent someone who is enjoying something on kind of a surface level to get that. I mean, you could, you could argue that say the Avengers movies have fairly complex plots, right? But if, if you're someone who like a lot of that's going over your head, you can still enjoy it for the fight scenes and this visuals and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think this is, you know, eh, whatever we're out in the weeds anyways. So recently I, uh, I have a friend who's really into older classic horror. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I recently for the first time saw, um, Rosemary's baby, mm. which is, a you know, just a phenomenal work. Absolutely, Absolutely loved it. It would not work in 2020 ever 2021 ever. Like it's slow sometimes like there aren't effects or like, you know, it's not this thing. It's very cerebral in its approach. And, you know, I think that just taking that versus, you know, a lot of modern storytelling and the way that we're doing things now, it's like, you know, I think it is okay to say at some point we've lost something, you know, a little bit. We're talking about Rosemary's Baby, Hereditary, all those movies. It's it's interesting to me, and this is totally just off topic, but that Satanists are one of the few groups of people <laughs> that you are still allowed to portray in a substantively negative light in modern pop culture, aren't they? Because it, it, Satanists actually exist. Is the thing like in the sense that do, like there do are they actually though? I mean, I you know, yes, you could make the argument that really they're their religion quote marks is like a roundabout trollish way of expressing their Ayn Randian sort of like philosophy about the world and that they are appropriating the concept of religion as a way to, um, you know, make up legal cases for abortion or any of these other fine, fine. But, the point is they exist as a group, you know, yeah, they, yeah, are, they exist fair. in the I mean, sense that there are people who are out here identifying as Satanists and, um, yeah. When, when's the last time you saw a positive portrayal of a Satanist? Usually in, it in happens the- in leftist circles that I'm in and it's entirely just like they did something to kind of troll on establishment. No, no. I mean like in film or television. Oh, I, in film like, or television. Like, like the one example Literally I can never. think of is Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, none immediately come to mind though. Right. Well, so this is your daily, uh, Satanist rights advocating (laughs) podcast. You know what? Um, you're a Satanist, you do whatever you want. Like, I don't give a shit. You know, let's punch up guys. Let's punch up. Let's stop punching down on a, yeah, but see punching up in this context means like, let's start making fun of religions that have a lot of followers and institutional power which is not that just makes you like that's a jerk. not so that's so like this is one of those instances where the punch up punch out down kind of dichotomy does not really work and so why, don't punch it's it's kind of like why in, in true detective it's like i think this is part of the reason why um lovecraft is becoming more of a common pop culture trope because the lovecraftian kind of like the cults that he built builds in his fiction, they're like vaguely sort of satanic, but not really more than any one real world actual religious tradition. So if you portray a Lovecraftian cult, like was the case in say true detective or Hey, Lovecraft, sure. Lovecraft country. Um, that that's an easy way to do the, um, 
evil religious group in a calorie free way that you can you can have you can have your cake and eat it too. It's You're probably diet not cult. gonna offend anyone, you know? Um It's not Diet Coke, it's Diet Cult. There you go. So probably like 15 minutes ago at this point, I was attempting to do a seb- segue based off of uh, Love Actually. So let's uh, <laughs> mentally jog back over there to that territory um, and talk about a few things that are coming to Netflix in February that I think are interesting. It literally might be about as exciting as watching paint dry. But um, so that being said, you know, the the actual work that I'm referencing, Eat, Pray, Love, is coming to Netflix in February, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me. Um, a couple other titles, uh, Inception and mm. Shutter Island, and then both of the Conjuring films. And I don't know. I just it's not that I don't think of Inception as something that could be on Netflix, but it just it seems like something I would have to watch on Amazon. You know what I mean? So what's interesting about Inception is I I got like a Roku recently, like and that was one of their welcome free... to 2016. Yeah, I know, right? Thank you. Um, and that was one of the the free movies on it. So now I'm wondering whether you know that's going to be taken off. Are we for are that. we public domaining Inception at this point? Is that sure. what's happening? Sure. I mean. Inception, like, was that not a Warner Brothers film? Like, it's it's still surprising to me that Netflix is able to get any significant number of movies from these studios that are, you know, Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, that are um, producing their own streaming services. And why give your competitor content now when you can kind of hoard it for yourself, you know? And um, my... So to answer direct, kind of directly your question, it's uh, produced by Legendary Pictures, mm. which I'm not sure who owns Legendary, well, like what the parent company is. There, no, Legendary, but. I mean, I, it might have some sort of like Chinese owner, but yeah, they are technically their own independent. independent thing. That being said, they do have like a longstanding sort of um, release uh, relationship like a distribution relationship with Warner brothers, which was part of the controversy. I think you'll recall a few weeks ago when, um, Warner brothers unilaterally said that they were going to start releasing all of their movies on, uh, HBO max for the coming year. Uh, more complicated than that. They were going to do a dual release, but given the realities of the pandemic, that's essentially moving everything to to HBO HBO. max. And what was interesting is that this included, two films uh, produced by legendary, which were uh, Godzilla versus Kong and Dune and legendary got incredibly mad because they weren't consulted about this, even though they have a financial stake in these movies. And apparently for a while, legendary was actually in uh, serious negotiations with Netflix to put just put Godzilla versus Kong on, you know, get a ton of money from Netflix to, you know, hand over the rights to Godzilla versus Kong. Well, how and, about that? And um, eventually they were able to come to some sort of agreement with Legendary, but they pissed off a lot of people in Hollywood with that move to the point where there are serious rumors that Christopher Nolan, director of Inception, among many other movies, who's the almost in the entirety of his career as a big budget filmmaker, has been with Warner Brothers. Apparently he's like really considering just going to some other studio. It'll be interesting to see which that is, but uh, well, if you ever want a reference for how to not play a business deal, uh, consult Warner Brothers on that one. I think it's an essentially good idea, honestly. The what they just wanted to do with because yes, it was 
a dick move the way they went about doing it because they didn't really consult anyone beforehand. They didn't really work out any sort of business arrangement as to how people were going to get compensated for this beforehand, all that sort of thing. They just decide, you know what, we're going to make this uh, massive leap and, you know, we're going to reap the whirlwind here. But it, it was kind of a realistic understanding of even like in a best case scenario, if we reach a pretty good um, rate of vaccination in the United States by summer. And that's granted that we're able to get um, distribution of the vaccine and, you know, under control. That's granted that none of these new variants, uh, you know, spread. The point is, I think that most of the rest of this year is pretty much shot as far as like actually being able to certainly, certainly. Um, release these movies in theaters and you're already seeing like another round of delays, like going back to no time to die. Right. That movie's been delayed two years now, like two years from when it was originally supposed to be released. Um, initially not because of the coronavirus or initially because of some other things, but this is how it's working out now. So it's kind of a realistic perspective of look, at a certain point, especially when we have all these franchises like the DC movies under our auspices here at Warner Brothers and one delay has a cascading effect on a bunch of other movies. At a certain point, you're just going to need to bite the bullet and release certain films in on your streaming service just so that you can keep the schedule running, you know, on a, at a normal clip until we reach normalcy, because now Disney's wondering what they're going to do with black widow. Are we going to delay it again? Are we going to put it on Disney plus? And it seems like they're just going to delay it again, which, okay. Um, I guess it's not going to piss people off as much as it would have, um, in a world where Marvel was not now putting out these official MCU Marvel studios series on Disney plus. And well, now we have WandaVision, which I've seen the first three episodes of, uh, would you be open to my talking about this in a non particularly spoilery way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I do want to just make sure I have a an understanding to put a cap on uh, what you just said, which was essentially good idea in terms of you know the bottom line, but bad execution, awful in terms execution. Of how they went about dealing with other entities and making sure that everybody felt covered. Awful execution to the point that I wonder whether a bunch of the other studios were scared off from doing something similar and in fact decided to commit to more delays simply because they saw the bad reaction to what Warner Brothers was doing, which again, I wonder if was less, you know, less of a bad reaction because of the substance of it and the execution. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, no, let's uh, let's talk about WandaVision a little bit. And again, I'm not going to give off plot details. I'm, I'm going to talk, I guess, about the um, the atmosphere of the show, which y you should know about even if you like have seen any of the trailers or anything. I like it. I like it pretty well. My my um, obviously my reaction to it is being colored most by the third episode, which is one I've most recently seen, which I think was clearly the best because. Again, in case you haven't seen any of the trailers or have absolutely no knowledge of what WandaVision is. So it's it's Wanda from like the Fairly Odd Parents, right? Yes, absolutely. Good. Um, no, it's about it's this weird kind of postmodern uh people say Lynchian in the sense of David Lynch, and I wouldn't go that far. But uh take on 
Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch from the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, and her relationship with Vision, last seen being killed in the recent <laughs> Avengers movies, and they've yet to explain exactly the nature of his coming back for this. Um, living in a suburban life, um, uh, kind of through the lens of various eras of sitcom television in the United States, and the First episode was really meant to emulate that of the uh, 1950s, I Love Lucy, The Honeymooners, that sort of thing. Um, the second episode was more kind of the 1960s, uh, I Dream of Jeannie, that sort of thing. And the third episode, 1970s aesthetic. And I I like the idea with the first two, but didn't really feel authentic to me. I mean, yes, of course, nobody in the 1950s was going to do a sitcom about this subject matter to begin with, but it kind of felt like a weird, hollow sort of um, parody of these programs that didn't really kind of ring true if you'd ever actually seen anything like this. Like if, if someone's whole knowledge of I Love Lucy and all that kind of stuff was just known from like YouTube clips and they'd never actually seen an episode of one of those shows. Whereas I, I liked the third episode a lot because it really genuinely felt like what the writers of say uh, three's company or one of these shows, the Brady bunch would have done back in the day. If given this subject matter and told, Hey, write some jokes about it. Like that's why I like, it really felt off more authentic. And I wonder if that's because we've just kind of, progressed as a society from watching any real amount of 1950s or 60s sitcoms in any large number. But yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, third episode because it felt authentic. And obviously if you're a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan, it does have all of these connections. But I really think that, you know, I like that they're doing something new and different. And this is very light on anything and approaching real action so far. They're just committing to this weird concept and I dig it. Well, we, uh, we we love nothing more than seeing a weird group of people commit to doing something weird and doing it well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's definitely great to see. It bumps it up a little bit on my watch list in terms of just really wanting to get after it. Because I saw I first saw the adverts on um, cable, actually, if you can believe that. I was over at uh, at my parents' house, and I saw like there was like a football game on or something, and like one of the commercials came on, and I was like. Huh. Like I was, I was fairly arrested by it start to stop just because it was not what I expected. You know, mm -hmm. it was definitely, it was something different, even just from the promotional material. So it's good to hear that like kind of translating over literally into the watch experience. Oh, it's weird. It's weird. It's not like any, like it is very different from anything Marvel studios has done at least recently. And I think it might be weird in a way that I think could even alienate people who wouldn't see be able to see the uh, the good stuff. And I think it might be too much for a lot of people. But I think the reason a lot of people are giving it a pass is this is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe content in about a year and a half now. Yeah, sure. Which in this day and age seems like forever. It seems like <laughs> forever since we've seen these characters and people are just desperate for any sort of hit right now. And I mean, this is what they have. Even outside of specifically the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think a trend that I've seen is people are just, you know, and, you know, we can talk about like there's not anything to go out and do in the world right now because of the pandemic or whatever, but people are just very media hungry at present just for mm. anything. Like anything comes out mm. that even crosses the threshold of like, I would spend the eight hours to consume this 
and it becomes like a week long kind of fest of just you know oh well this is a thing that's happening now and then like you know I think one of one of my best litmus tests for that is Tiger King. Mm. I do not think that Tiger King was an overly good show. I really don't. It, but it was so sensationalist because nobody had anything to do that people were just willing to, you know, really dig in on it. I mean, we're so starved for content now that we've wrung out like one kind of weird, funny picture of Bernie Sanders into <laughs> the better part of a week of cultural conversation. He actually memes he and, printed them on sweatshirts and sold them. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. I thought that was very very funny. You know. Um, um so that's that's where we are and um this is why I think that uh at this point I think the studios should really just bite the bullet and figure out a way to um release all of these big movies on their streaming services just to keep the schedule from getting out of control because you know if you don't if you don't hook them with Black Widow, people are going to forget about the Marvel stuff and they're just going to be like memeing like AOC. Yeah, there's there's a staggering amount of inertia being lost. Right. And I think that the stigma of straight to home video that existed a million years ago, Mm -hmm. because there was never a reason not to do a commercial release unless you assumed it wouldn't be profitable. And it's just like that's not the case now. That's not the landscape we're living in. And so like you you can't be that slow to adapt. Like, you know, just Try it. Shoot right. shoot one. Shoot a big big budget straight to straight to video and see what happens and see how you like it, you know? Like, the counterpoint from a lot of directions though is like that I hear I've heard variations of this argument, especially since the release of Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, which is not a film that I've seen, but I, I know the plot. I, I know what people find ridiculous about and that sort of thing. It's that with a lot of these big dumb action movies, they are really meant to be enjoyed in the theater. You know, you go, you see them, you are a captive audience for roughly two hours and you watch it. You're theoretically not on your phones. You're theoretically not talking to your your friends. You're just focused on the movie. Yes. In practice, it's never been the case of that, but that's the platonic ideal of how you do this sort of big movie. Right. And when you are doing that, it helps, um, you, you're immersed into it. You suspend disbelief. You get lost in the world of these big movies. And what a lot of people have been noting with Wonder Woman 1984 is like, I, I take it, you know, a lot of people liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. Probably more people didn't like it than liked it. But um, one some people have been noting perhaps this kind of theory that, you know what, maybe it really would have been better in theaters because when you're in the theater and you're not just kind of half watching it on your um, computer and looking at your phone and that sort of thing and not really fully engaged with it, it's easier to kind of like go kind of see some of the ridiculous stuff, especially when you're, you know, again, half paying attention, perhaps losing some of the context than it would be in the case of if you're watching this in a theater, if you're watching this in a theater suspend disbelief you're watching it at home maybe not uh not so much and that's part probably part of the reason why some people were really roasting uh wonder woman 1984 i think that could very well be a part of it again i've not seen the film but i wonder if there's not a similar dynamic kind of that people that's people these studios fear with certain of their other upcoming films 
I don't know. We'll see. So what you're saying is straight to video release is actually kind of like playing on hard mode. Uh, you know, to an ex- I, I think we're also still, we still have to, even after about a decade now of high quality Netflix and other streaming content, at least high quality in the sense that it has a budget, not necessarily talking about the writing or the acting or anything like that. Um, we still kind of have the stigma, especially for like a single shot one movie deal against, you know, from like the 1990s and the 2000s when like direct to video or direct to DVD was pretty much synonymous with garbage, garbage with actors who were past their prime and all that sort of thing. And we're still kind of adjust like adjusting to a landscape where that shouldn't theoretically be uh, the case anymore. It, it, we're, it is the case now that most people consume their content on their computer. So why should there be this division? But it still exists. And so I think people, you know, if yeah, it probably is the case that if it was announced tomorrow that black widow say was going straight to Disney plus, even with like a premium release or whatever they're calling it there, that there would be a certain, (laughs) that there would be a certain number of people small, but extant who would think like, Oh man, does that mean it's kind of going to suck? Um, and so sorry, just to make sure I understand what you mean by the premium release thing. Are you talking about the kind of deal that they did like with the live action Mulan where you right. had to have Disney Plus and then pay like an ungodly amount of money to watch right. the film? And and I get their logic in the sense that it's like, oh yeah, but see you're it'd be like if you're buying a ticket for a whole family, that'd be like what it is, but it just it it, it yeah, we can argue about the economics of that, but the point is it was It just probably, it didn't play well yeah. in the uh, space. Not at all. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, again, point is, I think that there is probably a little bit of a lingering stigma toward the concept of any sort of direct-to-consumer distribution of films, especially among older people who are disproportionately the ones still making the decisions about when and how and where um, these films get released. So that's probably part of part of what's going on here probably so i like to picture like an old crypt keeper looking man holding the gates to content just being like in the theater and just kind of you know guiding things across the river sticks as it were i mean movie theaters might as well be crypts right now (laughs) now cold and empty and all that now and if you find anybody in them they're probably going to be dead or they are dead I was like, when you see some of these places that have these deals to like rent out a movie theater for like $99 <laughs> and watch whatever, I was seriously considering like getting maybe you and a couple other people to like, hey, could we all go in on this and just go watch, go watch like The Thing or some other awful, wonderful 80s horror movie. Let's watch Hellraiser on the big <laughs> screen. Let's do it. See, while we, you mentioned um, something about like, you know, basically certain films, when you watch them in a theater, it affects the way that you interact with the um, with the piece of media. Mm-hmm. Um, just from a strictly, you know, like uh, captive audience is a good way to put it. Um, and that just got me thinking, what if you flipped the paradigm the other way? What if you took something that was very obviously intended for people to stream and you experienced it as an in-theater release? Specifically, what came to mind for me was when I watched the first season of True Detective... I sat in my room for eight straight hours and just let it autoplay because I was so hooked to it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so if I had the opportunity to do that in theaters with, say, a 30-minute intermission halfway through, oh, my God, I would love that. Not that there's any, you know, I'm not making any type of implications towards, like, the economic advantages of that or anything. I'm just saying as an experience, I think it would be neat. Well, the thing is about True Detective is that kind of still came in the tail end of that era at HBO where, and what does HBO stand for? Home box office. It was, it was meant for, like especially after like the very early era, but at the prime of HBO's run of cultural dominance, uh, when they had the Sopranos, when they had sex in the city and later on when they had things like game of Thrones and true detective and such, the, the deal was, okay, yes, you're paying for this in the way that you aren't doing this for broadcast television, but this is the absolute high quality content. This is going to be movie level content, not only in budget, but in acting and writing. We're going to take you seriously as the audience. This would be the stuff that wins Oscars if it were in theaters, um, just in the, in the format of a, um, in the format of a television series or a mini series or that, or even a television movie. And, I think you could arguably make the case that that sort of reputation is getting a little bit bastardized recently in the sense that like, okay, with AT&T having bought the whole company and then transitioning to HBO Max, which is supposed to be a um, Netflix competitor, that they're just every sort of um, program is going to get the HBO branding, which to an extent is going to kind of, I think, uh, undermine that reputation for um premium content but the point is i don't know if true detective is kind of the kind of series that we would be talking about like the one you say it really would be more like late era netflix stuff like say bright which i actually liked (laughs) i actually liked on its own terms you know it was good schlocky fantasy content the kind of stuff i can get into but i don't know if it would work as like a film you watch in theaters i just don't know i probably would have felt slightly cheated honestly like watching it at home i was like you know that's better than i expected you're watching at home with your friends and you're kind of you know roasting the parts that suck but also talking about the kind of stuff you do like it's very um it's meant for that kind of experience in a way that I don't think that you know, it wouldn't translate to seeing it in the in the theaters now. Almost certainly not. So to uh, kind of round out some entertainment type things, I have some uh, gaming, some some super gamer epic mm. headlines there to go are. over. Um, specifically, uh, there was a the first patch for the notorious failed release Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Uh, they just released, and I, you know, I went through the patch notes and everything, and saw what all they said it improved. And the idea that you could release a game that needed that amount of improving from base, just, you know, I don't want to get into the whole rant about, you know, like game development culture and hype and timelines and studios and stuff like that. Like that's for people with more industry experience than myself. But, um, you know, I just I think that. At least they're doing something about it, I suppose. The bar is so just catastrophically low that at this point I thought they were... I genuinely thought they were going to refund it and then just put it as like a dead end. Because there are technically some PCs that are powerful enough to run it vaguely optimized. Like, not all the way, but, you know, there. I thought there was at least a decent chance that CD Projekt Red was just going to... And, you know, not, not do anything with it at all. So, you know, that's... Uh, that's at least something that's come of all that. I remember the memes back in like the middle of 2020. It's like, 
which is going to come first, uh, Cyberpunk 2079 or the COVID vaccine. And I think, like, arguably, for, in the sense like, of it being, like, a finished form, you could make the case that we got the COVID vaccine. I'm pretty before. sure they finished the COVID vaccine first, yeah. Because uh, it's not a finished product, what people are, like, the Cyberpunk, what people are getting right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not sure if they've even relisted it yet. It's, it's I know they pulled it from the PlayStation Store a while back, and it might be that with this patch they're planning to re-upload it or something. I'm not entirely sure. But, yeah, I mean, it was entirely unplayable at launch, so that's a big ouchie for them. Um, another just, you know, absolute bonehead move here to talk about. Uh, Microsoft had initially announced a new, uh, new payment scheme for Xbox Live which would have basically effectively it would have doubled the cost per year because right now you can get 12 months for 60 bucks Mm -hmm. and they were attempting to make it something where, you know, like month to month, it would have been like a dollar more or something like that. But then the six month to 12 month plan, which is how most people like more people actually do that. It was going to double in price. So you were going to have $60 for 60 months or $60 for six months, Mm -hmm. which you know, obviously there was a wild amount of outrage about and, you know, everybody and their mom got on their LG smart fridge and tweeted <laughs> at Microsoft. And, uh, you know, so then, of course, what does Microsoft do but backpedal and say, hey, we screwed up. Sorry, guys. In like that weird kind of faux corporate accountability way where it's like you did technically own up to what you did, but you didn't have to do what you did. <laughs> like you tried to game us for double the money for the same service We said, hey, you can't do that. And then you said, we've really got some work to do. And it's like, yeah, you do, bud. Thank you for holding us accountable. We will do better. We shouldn't have to. (laughs) Here's an idea. Don't try to ring me like a dish rag for an extra 60 bucks a year. We see you. We hear you. You are valid. We're going to charge you $500 to... And I, I think there was even something similar in terms of like, you know, pricing for the for the next gen consoles. Like they were going back and forth on like a price raise or even in the beginning, they announced initial figures and people were just like, absolutely not. So just kind of reconfirming that Microsoft is still just, you know, kind of the worst. Um, that's that's kind of all I got about that. It's going to be so wild in a few years time. They're going to do that equivalent of. Remember when um, Nintendo put out the uh, um, the versions of the original NES and the Super NES that were like meant for the OG fans? They were the, ver- the versions of the console that were like uploaded with some games that were yeah. right. It's going to be amazing when they do that with the original Xbox. Oh, like what? So the- you're going to have like Halo original and like what else do you have? That's a great question on original <laughs> Xbox. Uh, what, like Fable? Man, where would that, where would it be without the Halo franchise? It owes, like, am I, am I, am I totally off base for saying like, um, Halo Combat Evolved is what um, substantially made it a competitor in the console wars? Sorry, I'm uh, I'm down a rabbit hole looking for original Xbox titles I recognize that are not Halo. <laughs> So the Halo franchise, yeah. right, is it's what made the new Xbox even kind of viable like, as a competitor. And, and I'm and I'm sure, like in a hypothetical alternate timeline where they hadn't meant, you know, had Halo, they would have figured out some other title. 
right? Yeah. But the point is, like, that's that's what it was. That's what they did that uh, allowed them to be a viable competitor with PlayStation at the time. Well, well so it's interesting when it comes Sony. to when it comes to reasons why people will purchase a particular console. Um, it's funny. I would argue more so that a couple generations ago, your exclusive titles had a lot more to do with that, like the original Xbox versus the original like PlayStation, PlayStation 2 kind of thing. Like that, I would say your original, like your exclusive titles carried a lot more weight. Nowadays, like I, I don't see there being as much hard line that way because like right now I'm trying to think of a single series like... For me, I think Nintendo has many more exclusive titles than a lot of those games. Because, like, if you look at a lot of very, very popular games, they're cross-platform, right? You think Mm -hmm. about Fortnite, you think about Apex, you think about what have you. You can get them on just whatever. Um, um, PlayStation has a pretty solid line of uh, these kind of Sony-exclusive games, like um, the God of War series that's pretty much you know, PlayStation. And I think a lot of that is that Sony is a giant multinational, uh, company that has multiple divisions and they have an entertainment division that also includes a film studio. And that means, Oh, if we have something like say uncharted that did very well as a video game, that could, we could milk that and create some synergy and turn that into a movie, which they've also been trying to do um, forever. And we could theoretically have a God of war movie and all that sort of thing, which is something that Microsoft, for whatever reason, Apple, Amazon, all these giant, um, Silicon Valley conglomerates have not been, I mean, I'm sorry, have been, um, really expanding into, uh, the world of traditional media that is producing or acquiring films and television shows, setting up streaming platforms, that sort of thing. And Microsoft, for whatever reason, never really got to that game. I think their Microsoft web browser is still attempting to load, um, (laughs) but load, load the, uh, load the dancing baby gift from, (laughs) From like 1996. <laughs> they just found out about Baby Yoda over there. Um, so the, what I'm thinking about is like when I'm thinking about like OG Xbox games, right? Mm-hmm. You were only going to have a couple and you were going to play them to smithereens, right. right? Whereas nowadays you have so many options, you have so many studios, you have so many developers that you're not as locked into, you know, it's it's not like choosing a class in a video game or something. Like you there's a lot more flexibility inherent to the platforms these days. So like honestly, I think pricing structures and hardware components and like footprint stuff like that actually has as much to do with in terms of like getting people over to your system as much as or you know slightly less than uh exclusivity in terms of titles like that's just that's entirely conjecture on my part, but just anytime I've seen people discussing it online, like people already know what they want to play, and so you're either going to go for for both or for you know the one that you've you've been loyal to over time, I guess. Mm-hmm. But not entirely sure where I'm going with that uh with that line of reasoning. Oh no, it's it's a good point. You think that uh probably about does it for us this week. And we could talk about other things, but I don't think we'd get as consistently good conversation, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I 
that th- this is where my brain has been operating this week has been in uh, in this realm of things on this side of things. So I, I definitely wouldn't mind uh, kind of keeping keeping the show within those uh, within those bounds. Yeah. So I, I think that'll I think that'll about do us. I think I've bled. My brain is entirely dry is now, just like a, a soggy lump of bacon grease <laughs> in my head. Um, the least appetizing possible meat that you can imagine that is what my brain is so if you're zombie um you you have at it i don't think you'll like it it's not doing me any good that's for sure no uh i've been jeff and i've been tucker no longer tucker figuring out what the new yeah we'll the new game plan is we'll focus group some new people for next week but uh bye